Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. I am going to say something tonight about our first reading, which is appointed for this wonderful Feast of All Saints. And even if you are not intimately familiar with St. John's Apocalypse, most of us have probably heard something about the 144,000 of the tribes of Israel who were sealed on their foreheads. And I hope as we take a brief look at this text tonight that it will become clear to us why the church has appointed this reading for this feast. The chapter opens, chapter 7 opens, with these four angels, and they are, there's four of them, so you know they're standing at the four corners of the land of the earth. And just in case you didn't know, the reason the earth has four corners is because it's rectangular, and it's rectangular because the earth is his footstool, and footstools are rectangular. Um, So they're at the four corners of the earth, and these angels are there. These angels have actually been granted to them to harm, it says in our reading, the land and the sea. But they're holding back the winds, it says. They're holding back the winds on the four corners of the land so that the winds won't rush over the earth and blow on the land or the sea or on any tree, it adds. Which, by the way, I'm sure you all know trees are men in the Bible. And the emphasis actually here in the text is on the trees. But the tree is symbolic of people. uh, While the land and the sea are symbolic of, you know, cosmology and the rest of creation. Wind, in the scriptures, is associated with the coming of God. Both in blessing and in curse. But in this case, it is a desert scorching wind of judgment. That's the kind of wind that they are holding back in this moment. Now these four angels, they're holding back the judgment of God. And if you read the chapter before, chapter 6, you would know they were holding back the judgment of God on apostate Israel. And they're doing this in obedience to another angel who is spoken of in our passage tonight. This other angel... While they're holding back this wind, meanwhile, St. John sees this other angel is ascending from the rising sun. Well, he is ascending from Christ our Lord, who is the son of righteousness. Christ is the son. So this angel is coming as a representative of Christ. He's intervening with these four angels who's been given to harm mankind and the earth to bring the judgment of God. And they're coming from the rising sun, the sun of righteousness who is risen with healing in his wings. So this angel comes and he says, he cries out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till, they are going to hurt them, just not yet, till, till we have sealed the servants of God, in their foreheads. So, 
Wrath and judgment on wicked apostate Israel are withheld until the servants of God are sealed. Now the primary, thinking of this image of the sealing on the forehead, okay, making a mark and a seal on the forehead of the servants of God, the primary Old Testament story that that really supports this image that the Jews and the early Christians would think of when they read this comes from Ezekiel chapter 9. And in Ezekiel chapter 9, we read this story about, you know, Israel had become very wicked and apostate in Jerusalem, and God was going to deliver judgment uh, upon the wicked uh, of Jerusalem. But before he did that, an angel went through the city and marked the foreheads of those who had been mourning and grieving and repenting for all of the abominations that had taken place in the city of Jerusalem. Once these people were marked with a seal on their foreheads, then the angel came in and destroyed the wicked, but those with the seal were spared. Now, it's an important point to note that even though they were spared, they endured with their lives, they still went through, we can imagine, a very gruesome and difficult trying scene in Jerusalem with all the bloodshed and the death. They had to endure. That's an important part. But the mark on the forehead, we see this throughout Scripture, both in Old and New Testaments. It's an important symbol. And it signifies the person who has the mark, they're protected They are a person of authority, of power. But most importantly, it's really a mark of ownership. And they are are possessed by someone, the king, the authority. They are owned by someone. Even the priests, the high priest's uh, forehead in the Old Testament was marked in gold letters, by the way, with a mark proclaiming that he was holy unto the Lord. On his forehead. And we know the Jews, you know, they wear the little phylacteries and the, and the little boxes with the scriptures on their foreheads. Well, this is very fascinating. I told you in Ezekiel in Jerusalem, the angel went around and he made a mark on those who were deemed righteous. Do you know what the mark was? It was the last letter of the Hebrew uh, alphabet. It was the letter Tav. Well, do you know what the letter Tav is? It's a cross. That's what the letter Tav, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, is. It's a cross. The angel went around and marked all of their foreheads with a cross. Now, this was obviously not lost on the first Christians in the early church. They made much hay out of this uh, and saw this as a great prophetic sign in Ezekiel, speaking of the time when The Messiah would come and those that would be joined to him would be sealed on their foreheads with the cross at their baptism. At their baptism they would be sealed. At their baptism they would be sealed and receive the gift of the Spirit. They would be marked with the sign of the cross which is precisely what we do in this most ancient ritual of the church. Once again, I want to remind us that this seal, this mark, does not save from tribulation, but it preserves through the tribulation. Now, after we get these, the foreheads marked in our passage, 
we come to the section that gives us this very odd and specific number of those who would be sealed. Very specific number. 144,000 were sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Now this is obviously a symbolic number. There are 12 tribes, and if we multiply 12 times 1,000, we get 12,000. We'll tell 12,000 squared is 144,000. Not to go into too much detail, but these numbers in the scriptures mean something. A thousand means something. It means, you know, a multitude. It's like us saying a gazillion. But it means completion and, and, and the perfect amount and the absolute amount. Also, a thousand is the basic military division in the camp of Israel. And this 144,000, this is the perfect army of the Lord. Think of it this way. Every 12 tribes, all 12 tribes are made up of 12 perfect divisions of a thousand. Twelve perfect divisions of a thousand among all twelve. This is, this is the full and complete and perfect Israel. Perfect symmetry. And for the Jew as well as for us, beauty is in symmetry and proportion. And this is Israel as she was meant to be in the heart and mind of God from the very beginning. Perfect, complete Israel. This is the true image of God's holy Israel. Now the first Christians, uh, to the context of the passage a little bit. The first Christians, and why John is writing this to the early church, the first Christians did not think of themselves as, as completely independent and separate from Israel. They were Israelites. They completely identified the early church was a part of Israel. They saw themselves as Jews. They saw the church as a part of the nation of Israel and as a fulfillment of the promises and the prophecies of the Old Testament, of Abraham and all the rest. They did not see themselves as distinct. Today, we say the Jews have their synagogue and we have our churches. But that's not the way it was in the early church. They saw themselves completely as a part, as a segment, as a fulfillment. Now, these prophecies were coming that Israel, apostate Israel, was going to be destroyed, which we read about in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews as well. And Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And their temple was leveled to the ground. And a million Jews were slaughtered. There was blood running in the streets in Jerusalem. And they were wiped out and they were destroyed. And they've not had sacrifice since. And these prophecies were coming that they would be destroyed. Well, the Christian church saw themselves as part of Israel. You see, there was, a, there was concern there. They thought, well, if Israel is going to be destroyed, we're going to be destroyed. You know, this, how is this going to work? And that's what John is writing about here. That's what the vision is about. His prophecy to the first Christians who are a segment, a part of Israel, is that while apostate Israel will be destroyed, they are going to survive. They are not going to go down with the old Israel. They are actually going to emerge as the remnant in all the remnant theology. That's what it's pointing to. They as the remnant will endure the coming persecution and tribulation. And what will be made clear is that this church, this new church, church, this new Israel 
What will be made clear is that they actually are the true Israel, the perfected Israel, of which the former was only a type and a shadow. And the beautiful symmetry of the fulfilled and perfect Israel, these 12 tribes made up of 12 divisions of 12,000, equaling 144,000. They are this great army of righteousness who has conquered the world, has conquered everything. This fits nicely with our feast last Sunday of Christ the King. And they have conquered under the banner of their Lord, their King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, the passage goes on. He doesn't stop there with just the perfect Israel, the 144,000. He also goes on to say that in addition to the perfect Israel, the fulfillment of Israel, there is also a multitude that cannot be numbered. Well, this reflects the ingathering of all the nations, of all the Gentiles. So we have the fulfillment of Israel and we have the coming in of all nations coming to the kingdom of God, to the mountain of the house of the Lord, which has risen in the center of the earth. So this kingdom is spread out to all peoples in all lands in all nations. Verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with right robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood around about the throne, and about the elders and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God, forever and ever. Amen. This is our victory. This is our triumph of this feast. We celebrate the saints of God filling the earth and this great victory that our king has won. There is no weapon. There is no enemy, no trial, no persecution, no suffering that can overcome our faith in Jesus Christ, our king. This message was important for the first Christians from the book of Revelation. Think of what they were going through. It's important for us. We're going through our own stuff, you know, our own challenges, our own difficulties in our day and age. Whatever you're going through, this message to us is one of great hope and victory. Our, our foreheads have been sealed with the mark of our God. And so long as we remain, as we remain before the throne, worshiping God in humble fear, so long as we remain with one another in this great army of faithful, this great army, this multitude without number, we are safe. We are safe if we endure to the end and we shall reap a great reward. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.